I will always have bananas in my mind. Without further ado, let's go into the follow-ups that I gathered from this couple of episodes, from uh, the latest topics. Let's do that. Two episodes ago, we talked about Homestuck 2. I introduced you to Homestuck yep. 2. And since then, I learned a lot. So I thought it was uh, worth a mention. Okay. Uh, notably, like I mentioned last time, there had been drama, but I didn't get into the details so now i got into the details i found a wonderful one hour video that summarizes the whole thing <laughs> i'm gonna link in the description but that nobody needs to watch if they don't want to but the tldr is essentially people are mad about the kickstarter because he did the, the author did a kickstarter for a game and then pretty much mismanaged the money because i mean you can't just produce a big game if you're one person like it's it's a job it's company i mean you have stardew valley which is only one guy which is kind of an amazing game like, i don't know i i understand that it's difficult to switch from being alone writing on a board a message board to making a full-fledged game so apparently there's been some well you know social media drama and so on but the way i'm bringing this up uh, in more details than it needs to is because uh, lately since last episode something happened uh, this author released a new game that is personal project of his that has nothing to do with Homestuck and I thought it was interesting to bring it up because it continues this trend of meta storytelling in a bit because so the, the new game is called Psycolonials it's on Steam if you want to check it out it's a visual novel and the story that I'm gonna basically spoil the outline of right now is about this girl who kind of accidentally starts a revolution and it goes out of hands and the the at the end she just ends up running away and she concludes that uh, even if she had good ideals at the start it went out of hand and the scale and people ruined it and it's really fun because it's another layer of metaphor for Homestuck and saying like he didn't expect it to take off the way it did and the scale kind of brought drama and ruined it. Also you think that when the author was making the game he was thinking about like what happened in Homestuck or like you just... I believe it's conscious. Okay. If it's not it's so clear that it's like <laughs> a very red blinking light in his unconscious let's say. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay it's kind of transparent. Well I don't know it's a very easy reading of it let's say. So okay, I don't know okay. what the the author had in mind when he wrote that. So light novel for me, a light novel is visual not a novel. Game. Oh, it's a Did visual. I say oh, light yeah, novel? yeah, you say light novel. That's oh, why sorry. I was a bit. So light novel just for the audience, I guess. Like light novel is just a novel basically that is written in a light style. Well, and it has a lot of pictures. Both are from Japan. Is that picture? No, no. It no. usually has some pictures. <laughs> not a lot. It's not like a comic, but like every chapter. Or every other chapter, you have an illustration. I didn't know that because, like, the only light novel that I read was like a um, Korean light novel. I haven't read a lot either. And there was no picture at all. It's called light novel because it's supposedly easy reading. Okay, okay. and visual novel is like a choose your own adventure kind of thing, but with picture. And it's on computers. 
and on computers. Oh, game consoles or whatever. It's a narrative game, let's say. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm eager to see uh, the next layer of meta is going to put on top of this. <laughs> it's way more manageable than Homestuck. It's a normal visual novel of... I think eight to ten hours, something like yeah, that. That makes more sense. Though he did want to really like they they released it weekly, periodically, each chapter at a time, which was a bit weird. But why not? I think like periodic periodic release is coming back. Like Netflix is doing a three part movie, and they don't want to call it series or TV show, so they're doing a three part movie that will be released every week for three weeks, and they're super excited about it. They did all like marketing stuff. I think kind of fun. <laughs> Going back full circle. Yeah, I, I like. Uh, weekly releases but if it's less than <laughs> less than five less than ten it feels a bit pointless <laughs> let's let's not go into that right now <laughs> because because <laughs> we'll go into detail on the on another future episode about it okay instead we need to talk about the big uh, topic from last time which is pantheon, pantheon. so last episode was titled what would a modern pantheon be like yes Right. And I think there is a lot left to say. So I got a message from Eyaris saying that when he saw the title of the episode, he expected a lot of stuff about Marvel and Star Wars, which is kind of like what I expected when we went into it. But Makes sense. We went pretty much in another direction that was, I think, even more interesting. But I think so as well. Yeah. So Ayaris was sad to see no mention of Obi-Wan Kenobi, for instance, which is kind of like the one good archetype of the, the mentor. Easy. Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Would it, so you'd say that Darth Vader is a good archetype of villain, but not Kenobi for mentor? I think, like, I, I've watched Star Wars, like, once, and I don't remember Obi-Wan Kenobi. Not at all, obviously, but like, I, I kind of remember him, but, like, he's not like, a full-fledged archetype. Like, yeah, I think the point of these archetypes is that you have heard of them even if you don't know the source material very much. So so you're saying that's not the case with... Yeah, exactly. Like, Dark Vador, I think, like, I can talk to anyone and they would be like, oh, I know, he's from Star Wars and he's a bad guy. Like, Obi-Wan Kenobi, I feel like he's a smaller character. A bit smaller character, but because he's a bit smaller, like, I don't think he can be, like, an archetype type. Yeah, that's the... I, I mean, that's fair, as uh, as demonstrated by the fact that I didn't immediately think of him, right? But, uh, yeah, <laughs> But he's pretty big. But I, I guess if you have to think of the archetype of the mentor maybe you'll go more to Dumbledore or Gandalf like is Dumbledore a mentor though well would you say an that? archetype <laughs> would you actually say he's the same archetype as Obi-Wan Kenobi I think do you like he's not teaching anything like to Ari Ari is more I think like McGonagall is more of a mentor or like Oh, yeah, but she's not an archetype. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, like, Serious Black is more of a mentor for Ari than Dumbledore. Dumbledore is just, like, not saying anything for, like, six books. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is, uh, very importantly, the archetype of the wise old uh, wise old fool, hermit, recluse, whatever. So, like, oh, Serious okay. Black is not old enough. Okay, okay, no, I didn't... Okay, I have no... <laughs> Actually, I have you, no... You don't know who that is. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> 
I mean, there is a lot of Star Wars movies that span over the whole uh, the whole life. I think Eyar is particularly meant the original trilogy. Okay, okay. So the old wise man, in which he is a mentor, otherwise he's a yeah. mentee. I think like no, but like Yoda, isn't Yoda more of a mentor? Yoda is a very good example. Yeah. I don't know. I was gonna say maybe he has less screen time. I don't know. I need to write back to Yaris to ask him why not Yoda. <laughs> I think we should watch. I know we won't do that, but maybe we should watch Star Wars. <laughs> Wait, I've watched it a lot, you know. Did you? Well, actually, more than I need to. Yeah, more than I, once. I, I, more than once. Okay, okay. I've watched the new well, ones. except the new ones, uh, like the the actual Star Wars. Is Oh, I've watched the new one once as well. I think it's enough, but apparently not. I feel like Star Wars is always talked about as a good archetype movie of adventure movie, like space opera, not space opera, but like sci-fi movie. I think movie. it's often brought up as space opera. And like, I don't know, like I maybe it's more important to culture than we think I, and I don't think so because I think it's extremely important to culture <laughs> okay then you think maybe <laughs> okay but you don't think that like <laughs> I don't think it's a good thing <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very fundamental in a meta way Star Wars is a, the archetypal movie <laughs> <laughs> archetypal new movie it's the god of the movies of the good versus evil movies i mean it has the the whole archetype of like resistance versus the evil empire or whatever yada yada another comment asked if we could extend this definition to the people that are very famous in any domain that everybody knows so for instance uh, the comment was about tiger woods in golf or michael jordan is basketball i guess what god would they be? The god of golf or basketball? Okay. <laughs> the god of... Uh... Do, do, but do we need a god for basketball? Well, the question is not what we need. Uh, well, I don't know. There's different questions. Like, do we need a god of basketball? I want to say obviously no. But do we have a god of basketball? Maybe yes. I think it's fair. Mm. I don't remember what we said about like Michael Jackson or like Elvis Presley, but like were they like the god or a good representation of music in general or like pop music? I think we said they were gods. That? Uh, without <laughs> precising. Okay. Entertainment. Modern day Dionysus. I don't see, <laughs> Yeah, I don't see the difference between Michael Jackson to pop music versus Tiger Wood to golf. I just think that like golf is less important. Maybe golf is more niche. Yeah, it's less important than music. But like sport is less important than music, no? For the human brain. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is true, but not obvious. And isn't it obvious though? Polemic. Po like, like, do you think? Do you actually think it's polemical? Like, do you actually think that like if I think a lot of people would disagree. Really? Do you really like? Yeah. I don't think so. You are so disconnected. <laughs> no, but but like but like some guy like so. Okay, people love music. Like people actually love music. Can you imagine like a football game? A lot more people have their lives built around their local sports team than their local artists. But like they wouldn't be like these people also like go to the club and there wouldn't be any club without music. Yeah. Uh, 
the the sports team is way more constituting of their identity and life and than but, a single artist. But, to, but but not a single artist. Like we're talking like sport versus music as a whole. And life would be very very different without music. Not like without sport. Like what would change? <laughs> Admittedly, but uh, my point is just that I think that if you ask the question to everyone on earth, like, would you rather live without sports or without music? I think more people will say without music. That's so interesting. Like, I really, really want to see some numbers on that. So in other things that I wanted to mention, so there's a chart word on Twitter saying that our actual de facto God and religion nowadays is health. Health. And I think what they meant is that we sacrifice a lot of things for in the name of health. I'm not sure I would agree that we've become fanatical about it. Mm, but I think that's two things about it though so there's like the covid point of view where you're like okay for else we are putting a pause on like what makes human life fun and so you could say that like we actually think that like living as in like not being dead is more important than like living as in like making new experience and so that's a point of view like I, i've thought about like i've written about that for for like the for confinement little book thing this is so like anti-lockdown 101 this makes me sad <laughs> i mean like that, but like why does it make you sad like i think it's a question that like we should have asked more in an open debate kind of style not in a like right now obviously it was just like oh you're either like not thinking that like coronavirus is real or like you know like it's like either you're dumb or either you're for the lockdown but what i'm saying is like obviously we put else at all costs right now that makes sense to me that makes sense to you that might be open to debate i don't really care but i think there's a second point of view about like else being like uh, our new god is like well-being like which has nothing to do with like else else but i do think that like in the last five ten years like well-being He's like, oh, don't be Elsie, be like better than Elsie. Oh, you need to, I don't know, take this like, make, like super food. You need to like meditate. You need to like do sport. And like, it's not like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, there was that kind of talk to be like more than Elsie. And like, that's a new thing, no? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a very good point. So I wanted to bitch about how money has become on your god in capitalist society. Mm -hmm. But you made me realize that actually what is even more like pervasive and implicit and which is like, I think an extension of what you are saying is the, is that happiness is on your goal. You are very pressured to be happy, to not waste time, to be happy all the time, to feel good. To enjoy life, there is an extremely strong incentive in neoliberal capitalists to enjoy life. And I think what you are saying about well-being is how it manifests recently, let's say. Like, it's also a way, I think, for people to feel better in a war, like in a situation that they shouldn't feel better about. Like it's like, oh, be productive, work 80 hours a week. But if you microdose LSD and you meditate five hours a day, then like you can manage to like work 80 hours and be super productive for a capitalistic overlord. And I think like 
that's also like a counterpoint of maybe like this well-being market is more about being super productive in our like super capitalistic world more so than like being happy yeah i mean it's 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 always multifaceted right you you there is this implicit drive to be happy but the the reason is so that you consume products to be happy or that you're more productive at work so it's it's hard to take it off of it of the the whole context yeah but i think it's like it's like it's so pervasive that like i've done sports in the past like i've meditated <laughs> like you know what i mean like, like it's just, i would have never thought of myself i don't know five years ago of someone that like would do sport or that would try meditation to feel better about myself i would be like how stupid that is like what the fuck are you doing and i've mingled i've tried so what made you change because i was like i feel bad <laughs> i feel bad and maybe if the science is true behind all of this like that should make me feel better because there's some science it, it is true that like every every therapist ever says have you tried exercise <laughs> well not 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 psychoanalysis not so, okay like, okay <laughs> it's depression depression advice 101 is like have you tried exercise yeah yeah that's true that's true have you tried exercise have you tried meditation <laughs> yeah i've tried all of this and it actually works maybe depression is on you god but i don't think like the thing it works because if you have the energy to work out it means that like you're kind of there of being like better in your life yeah it's a cognitive science thing like if you pretend that you can get out of bed you'll be able to get out of bed <laughs> just fake it until you make it uh, i don't know i guess a lot of people probably have endorphin when they have sports <laughs> yeah i'm not why like i don't know there's been a mistake and like i'm not wired that way yeah i'm i don't think i'm wired that way either <laughs> <laughs> i want to embossment on that shit because i've never felt nothing never <laughs> and i've tried for like three four months to work but, out but i am willing to to imagine that i'm not the the default <laughs> in that no, but clearly we're not the default because people love it like people are like oh i love doing sports like and after that you feel so amazing i'm like after that i feel like shit like what are you talking about <laughs> i want to die i want to like sleep like i'm not feeling good in any sense of the term of feeling good it hurts everywhere there is not not enough recognition for endorphin deficient people we need an advocacy group yeah but before we do move on to the next session i want to quickly shout out other themes that have come up in discussion that i think are too good to ignore okay uh first of all the difference between mythology and pantheon we focused on pantheon but i guess what i had in mind more was mythology last time when i went into it so that, that's good. How nowadays we tend to decorate rooms or, or houses with movie posters so they act like little altars to these new gods. That was a really cute point. Uh, another thing that was really lacking in our discussion was uh, cats because obviously cats have always been part of mythology and a very important part of every pantheon through the year. So what's up with that? Are we sure but we haven't talked about cats? We talked about it offline, but not okay, in okay. the podcast. Okay, okay, sorry. Uh, but I, I think it's fair because it's a bit out of the topic. It's not our new gods. They've always been there. They are our eternal masters. <laughs> <laughs> but 
the continuous god. And the last thing I I want to say is something I forgot to tell you last time, and I thought the point was uh, that was really cute. I don't remember exactly in which context he he was saying it, but Tom Scar was saying this on a video that uh, that I was watching a month ago or something. Mm-hmm. Was talking about how. Uh, it's funny, like you can say that uh, Jesus is a, is like an important symbol because people make fan art of him, and I, and so he was like, oh, people make fan art of me, so I'm like Jesus as a joke or something like that. And I thought it was an interesting point, even though a lot of religion have a controversial link to fan art, but it's I don't know, interesting point, food for thoughts. Just one of the follow-up, and like we still haven't talked about it, and maybe like we don't have time and it's not the place to talk mm-hmm. about it. But like, I think it's kind of fun that like we haven't talked that much about money. Like, it's always a passing thought. Like, we talk like right now, like just a bit about money. We yeah. and, like, during the full episode, we haven't talked about money at all, and it feels like so obvious that it is like kind of the new god or kind of the. Is it the new one? Has it or? always been there so first of all it was on my note for both the episode and the follow-up i think like it's my go-to answer when you say like what is a new god and there's, there's even a name for that is moloch the money worshipped as a god i do think it's uh it goes it's relatively new like it goes in par with the industrial revolution and the rise of neoliberal capitalism mm-hmm. and ever since the fall of berlin wall like other than ussr etc there's it seems like there is no real alternative so it's even more prevalent as for why we didn't talk more about it maybe it's because it's both very obvious and very complicated like there's a lot of things to say and it has already been said dozens of times i guess no but i don't know and maybe we're not as well versed in economy as we would like to be to talk about this But I agree that it's my go-to response when you ask me what is our new pantheon is capitalism. (laughs) Capitalism realism, as Mark Fisher says. Capitalism established as uh, the permeating truth from which there is no escape or alternative. This episode is brought to you by Entropy. Tired of feeling like nothing ever happens, like you're stuck in a rut? Well, Entropy is the solution for you. Entropy will give you that much-needed push towards literally anything. And contrary to competitor motivation methods, it has a 100% success rate guarantee. So by the way, lately I've spent a lot of time looking at contemporary artists and especially computational art, everything that has to do with programming, technologies, whatever. I don't know to see what's out there. I found some lists and I was like, okay, let's see every portfolio one by one. Where did you find the list? Where? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess I googled like AI artists or something like that. Okay. Amazing. Where did I first... How did this whole thing start? How did my whole descent into the abyss start? I don't know. It started with a YouTube channel talking about contemporary art. And then I was like, oh, contemporary art is nice, but I'm more tied to technology, semantics, etc. Because the, the YouTube channel was really about biotech. We'll talk about it some other time. But anyway, the point 
here is that I'm going to talk to you a little bit about one of my favorite artists for today and maybe some other times we'll visit some other favorite artists. Uh, I found a lot of interesting stuff. But the one I wanted to talk to you about today is uh, Sam Lavigne, an artist based in New York, uh, born in 1981 apparently. Okay. <laughs> Amazed that I remember that because it's not in my notes. One notable thing I want to say about him is that he Well, he's also a professor and notably taught at the School for Poetic Computation, which is a school in New York that comes back a lot in my research. Okay. <laughs> so let me introduce you to a few works by uh, Sam Lavigne that hopefully I will not forget to link in the descriptions. Uh, the first I want to talk about is uh, a work from 2014 called Big Data Pound Shop which is an online installation. So this is basically one, uh, a dropshipping site. Like he basically inv not invented dropshipping, but he was an early adopter of dropshipping. It's an automatically generating the store, offering various products like t-shirts or mugs or hats or whatever. And the little uh, twist in it is that the thing that he automatically prints on them is leaked NSA documents, like various... NSA documents. Uh, that's it. That's <laughs> <laughs> Big data pawn shop. I, I like the concept. It's very clear what it is. So is it actually... So it's an actual shop that is still working today. Uh, so I can go buy like an NSA document printed on a t-shirt, basically. It raises interesting questions about copyright, by the way, because I don't think he has the right of copyright of these images. <laughs> <laughs> But if they are leaked NSA documents, I don't know. Are they are they actually copyrighted? Because like NSA, you could say is like a government thing. The government can't really. I think this is way outside of our, <coughs> our legal expertise. <laughs> is it? <laughs> we really like. I think like I know that there's actual master degree on copyright law, so we can't really be well versed into copyright law, and even less so in the state and in France and in the world. But like, I really would like to be more well versed in copyright law because like it comes up very very often. It seems too complicated. I think like the fact that the store is still up demonstrates that it's not too copyright violating. <laughs> If it was leaked Disney documents, it would already be shut down. <laughs> And the shutting down part of the store is the real work of art. <laughs> so, second one. There's plenty of work. I'm going to go through my favorites until we run out of time. <laughs> uh, 2015, a website called the Street Views which is an inventory of physical location of uh, houses of people who have legal, political, or social status that are in any way remarkable, but invisible to a casual observer. So it highlights houses uh, owned by US Congress people, privately run prisons, for-profit universities, this kind of stuff. Uh, real estate owned by the US uh, government. I don't understand at all, not even a bit. So it's picture of 
Houses? Of locations, houses owned by a notable uh, legal, political or social status, high social status people that are in the shadows. But what, do, what does that mean in the shadows? U.S. congressman, like you don't, you don't even, you don't think about it. Or privately run prisons is a good uh, example. Like it's an, it's an, an atlas of every privately run prison, U.S. congressman address. Okay. And <laughs> second houses etc okay like what's the link between for-profit prisons and like congressman houses that's what i don't really understand really, i guess both can be seen as the underbelly of the system like the congressman that it's all uh things that should not be that have no need to be so tied in money and that end up owning real uh, like giant real estate bits uh, so it's a way to denunciate luxury to be more transparent about uh, transfer of funds no but i i do understand like for-profit prison which is like a whole subject in itself and like a bit like I, I don't see how that came to be to be completely honest but what completely another subject but like house of congressman feels a bit weird like i think like obviously it should be public like what they own but like picture of it like i mean like they can own a flat no that seems fair <laughs> i don't think that's the spirit of u.s congressman <laughs> <laughs> We're talking like secondary, third, fourth houses here. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> if they owned a flat, uh, I don't think that would be an art project. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me, all naive. <laughs> okay, okay. I don't know why, but like I thought people were good for a but moment. Yeah, I don't think like the Communist Party of the US d has a lot of entries on this. Uh, on okay, this okay. Project. So it's basically like rich people houses today. Look at how rich they are. Maybe we should do something yeah, about it. There might be bribes or whatever, this kind of stuff. Okay, that's fun. In a street view so that you can really see like if you're there. Oh, so you can actually see like how luxurious it is. Yeah. That's fun. Okay, the next one, I, I think it's going to be less uh, controversial for you to integrate, I think. It's called White Collar Crime Risk Zones, a project from 2017, an online mobile app, etc., etc., uh, which uses machine learning to predict where financial crimes are most likely to occur. So it's a heat map of crimes, like you see many in the news or whatever, but it's about financial crimes. So Manhattan, for instance, is bright red. Uh, which I think is a really nice reversal of uh, su subversion, let's say, of an established trope. Yeah, it's like minority report, but for manager. Yeah, so no, no wonder that Manhattan is really red. But oh, uh, this this app is uh, especially cute because it tells you like the kind of embezzlement, <laughs> fraud, whatever, like uh, is projected by the by the algorithm. It's really nice. It actually sounds very, very fun. And of course, it's it's to beg the question, why are those crimes handled differently than other kinds of crimes? Because they have a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> because they're money. <laughs> they're money. That is fun. I, I, to be honest, like with the three projects that you, that you shared, I do find it very, very fun. Like as an art project, I do find them a bit on the nose. Too obvious. Yeah. Uh, that's fair, but maybe it's also my bias of choosing the ones that made me love the most. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But anyway, the, the next, if you want something more, I guess, subtle and less directive, maybe you like the next one. Okay. Then, like, let me shuffle things around. Uh, it's called New York Apartment. It's a project for two, from 2020. It combines the totality of New York real estate listings into a single website. So it lists the total sum price, total sum square meters, total descriptions and they all the pictures and they try to make a 3d model of what the total space what does it mean i'm not sure but it's really fun <laughs> <laughs> that is a fun project all of these projects is like if you don't call them art like what do you call them it's just like it defies depiction kind of which by default makes them hard. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. It's not that expensive, to be honest. <laughs> you're gonna buy all the apartments in New York? No, but actually, it's only 43 billion. <laughs> This, the, I mean, I understand every word you say, but it makes no sense to me. <laughs> My brain doesn't comprehend this kind of numbers. No, but like, I think like that might be a project that like shows how fucked up billionaires are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the primary reading. Uh, like, I, I think like viscerally, like it's very hard to make people understand what how much one billion is. Like, people don't actually grasp it. And like, so I, I, don't know, I have a list of like metaphors for black people to grasp it. My, the new thing that I came across, Mark Zuckerberg, owned two percent, like two dollars out of everyone. Ah. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg owned two dollars out of every one hundred dollars that all millennials get in the States, which <laughs> I think it's like kind of fun numbers. But I think saying like Mark Zuckerberg could buy all the flats in New York like shows yeah, how that's a good way to look at like it. how fucked up it is. So here Johan presented a fourth piece of art, which I had a very strong reaction to. I don't think that the debate that followed that reaction was very necessary or very constructive or very interesting to hear. And I ended up defending a point about art that I really don't believe, which is the amount of work that you put in, on a piece has any impact on the actual value of the piece, which is a thought that I really, really disagree with. And Johan tried to <laughs> convince me otherwise, which I was already convinced. I was just like very emotional about it. and I don't know why, but here's to show that art can provoke a lot of emotion. And maybe that's the whole point. So sorry for that censorship. And let's go back to the podcast. So if you had to pick a favorite, it would be the New York apartment, maybe. But like, absolutely. By far. By, by okay. very far. <laughs> like the New York apartment was amazing. Like, I think it's an amazing representation. It's an amazing thought. We chit-chatted because this is one of our conversation episodes. But the conversation episode implies a dialogue. So I guess please find us on Twitter, YouTube, Reddit, yeah. Gmail, not daily podcast or in one go. Leave us a review on iTunes and everywhere. Try to let us know you exist and you'll be featured in our conversations. Because <laughs> we'll be so happy. Thank, Thank you. you. See you. See you. Not too. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> the ending is gonna be me exploding with cringe. Mm.